<laughs> Wait, I'm trying to figure out where to how to start this one. Like, I, I think we should start this episode with a, I don't know, a POTUS, uh, a POTUS approach, but... Because I'm going to bait the audience a little bit. We have not the POTUS on the line, but an aspiring POTUS, right? So, with that said, this is the Zero Hour. This is your co-host. They know me as as Mark Fiertz. And, by the way, our guest does spell his name incorrectly, right? Okay, we'll get because into Because, of course, the way Mark spends, spells his name, M-A-R-C, is the only correct way as far as he's concerned. Correct. And you are, yes, you are brainwashed. Who are you, by the way? I am your co-host, Christine Chapman. And who is the other Mark on the phone? Mark. M-A-R-K. Stewart is with you in studio. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Mark Stewart. And I'm not allowed to give it away. No. But you no, are no. a very special guest. And can we can we just give a little history for Mark and my sort of past as and long, how he came here as, as long as I don't give it away? No, as long as he admits to the improper spelling of his first name, then yes. The American spelling. M-A-R-C is very continental Europe. You know, it's funny. That I was born correct. I was born in Zurich, right? And I was uh, named after my mom's favorite painter, Marc Chagall. Who was French. Okay. So All there right. you go. It flows. Yeah. When I visited the continent, I, I noticed a lot more M-A-R-Cs. I also noticed logos for businesses that flow more. The Europeans have... Ooh, their logos. The Americans, I think, fittingly have this contrasting K's and harder consonants. To Americans, I think it fits a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Mark, you and I met, God, in the early 90s, I want to say. Late 90s. Late 90s? Yeah. Because you are a longtime fellow educator who supports students who are looking at private schools and colleges and whatnot in a slightly different capacity from the work I do. And I'm going to ask you to speak about the professional work that united us before doing anything else. Well, my firm, and it's been 24 years in existence, is Ivy Bound. And we help students primarily get into competitive colleges via tutoring. Our tutors are available online. They have been since well before COVID, but Ivy Bound is still a firm that tutors people in person. And so children who are better off with a tutor across the table from them instead of through the internet, in most locales, we we can come through. And, and we are a lot of tutors from young to old who have this credential in common. They teach standardized tests effectively. And as you know, Christine, that's often different from schoolwork. Yes. Because teaching in school follows textbooks, yep. which is not the same as what's tested on the SAT. It's Correct. why coaches for the SAT are pretty important because the way the SAT asks questions and the types of questions they're asking 
and the timing aspect and what to do if you're not sure and should you get. These don't come up in your typical English or your Algebra 1 class, but you need to be versatile with this on the SAT itself. So, so Mark, tell me, because my understanding is that you send tutors or your firm sends tutors all across the, the, the eastern, seaboard. you know, seaboard, right? The northeast. It's rare that we're going to send them far. Occasionally, families will say, you know what? We're in an area far from any of your tutors, but I want one of them in my home during my kids' school vacation. So on occasion, yes, we will send far and wide. But usually we have a tutor locally, or if the tutors are all distant, the parents are okay with uh, a, a uh, remote, meaning online learning. Okay. So do you mind, like, how many people do you employ? Uh, we're over 40. Wow. And do you still tutor? I know that at one point you did. I I love doing it, but I've limited myself so that, one, my lieutenants, who are by and large better than me, I'm older and I've got more experience, but they're better with kids. Yep. And with this changing SAT, almost all of us are on about the same playing field. Um, there's There's been a lot of changes. So a lot of Ivy-bound tutors are going to be more adept than 59-year-old Mark. And uh, so I'm happy to have them do the basic work. I'll be a pinch hitter if somebody really uh, wants or needs if there's a, a time when tutor's not available for a student. But we're pretty flexible. And especially if you're using us online, the ability to link up with a tutor that might be at midnight, which could be good for some kids who stay up late, or at 7 a.m., which is very good for kids who don't have an early start to school. That's my favorite time to tutor. Um, we'll, we'll make it work. I got, a, I got a question that is beyond tutoring, right? Mark, where did you grow up? West Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. All right. I, because Public that, school. What's that? Public school? Yep. Very, as I call it, ordinary childhood of the 1970s. Nothing, nothing earth-shaking. And, and I thank God, because there's so many obstacles to having a normal childhood now. Yeah. But having two stable parents who wanted their kids to succeed, but didn't push really hard, um, it worked. And you didn't need to push hard back then. Now you do. Kids who aspire to being among the top 25 universities have to realize you have to be a professional student. Because you are competing with not just a region, but a whole nation and against a lot of international kids who are very delectable. The colleges (laughs) love international applicants because, number one, they're almost always full paying. They don't have to worry about scholarships. And number two, they instantly add diversity, which most colleges want. So the average suburban or even well above average suburban American has a lot of competition. So you just said something that I've never heard it said quite like that. Professional student. I love that. Yeah, that's unique. Kids have credentials that are longer than a lot of people's resumes. Yes, I am. I am aware of those. I work with many professional students. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Okay. Can we? 
yes. And I, what, Mark, the reason why I asked you where you were from is you you sound very New Yorker, right? Like, which is a compliment coming from me. And you tell your story and you call it like you see it and you have passion, right? Like, I, I'm calling in from Boston now. I'm a New Yorker, too. I moved to Massachusetts. But we... We Bostonians and New Yorkers are very similar in the sense that we wear our emotions on our sleeve. You know exactly where we're coming from, right? Um, and I, I picked that up from you when you said hello, you know. And when I made fun of your name, you still misspell it. But when I said <laughs> when I made fun of your name, you're like, "Hey, wait a second. All right. So, all right. Now, I just want to New Yorkers get it. can be nice and still be direct. Correct. And, and let me contrast that with something that is really a blight on modern education. You and I, anyone who's direct, are not going to be school superintendents. Modern public schooling almost requires you to be somewhat devious with parents. They, they have what some of us call superintendent speak. And when they're doing things that some parents might not like, they have to put it into politically correct, which means somewhat lying, terminology and it's a shame because transparency by schools for what parents and kids are going to get is so important 100 percent, dude so can i go okay mark <laughs> you and i connected recently and we were connecting just to talk about work and possible collaboration between the work that I do in guiding students through the application process and the obvious need that I often have to refer um, students to a tutoring network. So we were chatting and I think I said, so where are you now, Mark? And you were like, hey, I'm back in Connecticut. I was in New Hampshire. And I said, what were you doing in New Hampshire? And you told me a story which I hope you will tell right now um, to lead me to understand that we actually were calling because you needed to become a guest on the podcast. And that was just days ago. And we just sort of made it happen because I think it's really important for us to be able to share your story. Well, so, Christine and Mark, it's an ongoing story. Uh, it's not past. I am a present still candidate for office, and for a lot of the same reasons that I'm for reforming education. Um, even more so, I want to reform our government. And so you started, Mark, with the term POTUS, it stands for President of the United States, and yes, I am a candidate on ballot now until June in primaries. Primaries used to get a lot of attention. This time around, things have been so wrapped up for Biden and Trump that they're getting very little, yet I am on the ballot against Joe Biden. I am available for Vermonters on Super Tuesday, March 5th. Yes. You will see my name, Mark Stewart Greenstein's my last name. I go by Stewart for political reasons. And uh, five others, including the U.S. president. On the Republican side, those voters could still do a write-in for Mark Stewart Greenstein. On the Republican side, you know, Trump's going to win easily. And their ability to express either a disdain for how things are going, a disdain for Joe Biden, a disdain 
or an appreciation for a, a better type of governance, which I call constitutional governance, less big government, more small, or possibly a liking for little Mark Stewart Greenstein. You have that chance on March 5th. There's some other Super Tuesday states where I'm not on the ballot, but the ones that allow write-ins, I'm still available as well. Okay, okay. So I am looking at your website, stewartforliberty.com. And the first sort of line that jumps out to me is the only 2024 presidential candidate who doesn't want to be president. You need to unpack I want that. A better Congress. I'd like to see a better Congress. Yep. I'd like to see better people at the helm in the White House. Better than me. I'm better than literally almost everyone now, but we can do still better. And let me expand this yes. to the ultimate. How do you get a better Congress? How do you get better state legislatures? My effort at the presidential level is meant to unleash more people to be candidates. And these people don't have to have big, long resumes. They don't have to have highfalutin titles. They have to be good. I have a book. It just got published called Why Not the Good? And I define good as competent with some passion attached. We don't have enough of that in U.S. Congress now. Okay, what do we have? Tell me what we have in U.S. Congress now. We have a lot of people who elevate themselves above what the people around them who voted for them want. And some of that elevation isn't all their fault. It's not just narcissism. It's that there are donors who pave the way for them to, one, stay in power, and in the process, deprive the voters of what maybe they ran for in the first place. There are lobbying groups, not necessarily donors, that pressure Congress as well. Now, I can't change human nature, but what a libertarian mindset does, and, and I am a small L libertarian, I'm in the Democrat Party, uh, the party that 100 years ago would have been libertarian, but we've, we've changed. And the way that human nature doesn't have to change is that we have to defang government from so much of its power. Go back to the governance of the 1870s and even earlier, where they didn't control much of our lives. Local government today could and should be about the only controlling force in a decade. There's very little that the U.S. government should be foisting on people. And with it, if there's less power, if there's less stuff for congressmen to even be doing, I think you end up with better representation. Wow. Mark, I am uh, I am definitely a political neophyte, right? H- how does one even get on a ballot, right? Like, is, is that by vote, I, I would assume? So at the state level, it's a state-by-state uh, decision whereby in every state, the two big parties just need to nominate one person, okay? They've mm-hmm. gotten the clout, the prior votes for Democrats, as long as they exceeded 20%, 
um, there's going to be one Democrat allowed to be on the ballot, one Republican. They always get at least 20 percent. That's their nominee. Anybody else has the chance to fight within the Democrat or Republican parties for their nomination or go outside. The independent route is a lot harder, one, because even if you get on the ballot, the attention one gets is so subdued. Media don't tend to want to cover you. When they do, they think, well, you're a kook because you're not going to get elected and nobody elects independents. So it is a much tougher route. Um, it requires usually getting signatures. I've done this in four past election tries where you stand outside with a clipboard. Some people go door to door to door. I wow. think that's a little creepy these days. I like being outside in a, um, a shopping area that allows it and fewer and fewer places allow it because they think, oh, that's political. We need to stay away. But where it's allowed, and U.S. Post Office is always allowed, even though they're not high-traffic places, you can get eventually a thousand names. And that's what I needed to be on the Vermont ballot for U.S. president. Now, Biden himself needed that. Really? He come up to Vermont, but he had, you know, he paid a firm to get his 1,000 signatures and pay his $2,000 fee. Got it. Now. He has to do that in every state. Got it. I have chosen to be in just three states. Okay. And so my limited amount makes it still budgetable. My time um, plus $300 got me on the Vermont ballot in D.C., where I'll show up again against Joe Biden. That's in June. It's just a payment. You don't have to go the signature route. Wow. Pay them $2,500, and you show up on their ballot, too. So what made you decide, Mark, like, okay, I have no desire to be president, but I need to get on the ballot to be a challenger, right? And Because I don't know a better way to give over a long-standing opinion that we're not being governed well. I don't have a huge media platform. Thank you for giving me this small and hopefully growing platform. Yes, yes. I, I have felt that you automatically get a little bit of platform by being on a ballot. That's less and less true. I, I first did this in 20, 2000. It, it, I, I ran as a 35-year-old. And if you go back, there is a clip of um, a debate on C-SPAN where lesser-known presidential candidates in New Hampshire from January 2000. I'm still in there as a much younger and still saying the same thing now. <laughs> it was that the Democratic Party, represented by the two big nominees then, that was Al Gore, vice president, yep. running for president, and Senator Bill Bradley, and nobody else, which was so perplexing that I said, look, I've got to put my, my hat in the ring to at least give a perspective that they are way too liberal which I'll define as statist. I'm not anti-being progressive in your own little world, but when you force your ideas onto others using government, government is force, that is liberalism turning turned into statism. We don't want that. And back then, relative to today's leading Democrats, 
Bill Bradley and Al Gore were quite moderate. <laughs> now it's gone off the charts. The amount of control that your leading Democrats, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, uh, the, the squad, they want any feeling to be legislated. And with legislation, it means control over anyone that disagrees. Not American. Okay. Okay. So here's my, I feel like we are in a time that is tumultuous, divisive in ways that it has never been divisive to this extent. You're right. What do you bring to the table in terms of your position? Do you see yourself as more of a centrist candidate? Because I am seeing some old school sort of conservative oriented values that are sort of wrapped into what you are speaking to, right? It's amazing how unifying libertarianism is. So can you speak so, to libertarianism as a whole, like as a Canadian myself, I'd probably be like a, a socialist, perhaps. I mean, not that I would identify as a socialist. Says, the libertarian offers socialists Bernie Sanders-style socialists, mm-hmm. to be socialists. As much as you want in the enclaves you want, if northern Vermont had counties um, that wanted to have Medicare for all, that wanted to be very strict in their labor laws, that wanted to be even more um, rigid in how they control education, let them. Let them. Because as long as you could move to a neighboring town or country that isn't so restrictive, the libertarian way works for them. And on the other side, there's very conservative, devout people who would like to have communities that have no drinking on Sunday, that that have the use of the Bible invoked in school regularly. Let them as well. It doesn't contradict our Constitution, which is a very libertarian document. Christine, Mark, there are very few powers that the Constitution truly gives to Congress. There's 18 of them, and five are military-based. So there's only 13 other powers, uh, govern the post office, build roads, um, run a patent office punish piracy, uh, prosecute counterfeiters. It's not a whole lot. And over the last hundred years, the courts have allowed Congress to go way beyond the boundaries of the Constitution, and in my mind, way beyond the wisdom of the Constitution. Interesting. So It's, It's so interesting because even congressmen think they can do whatever they want. If you ask Nancy Pelosi, um, is is Medicare actually permitted in the Constitution? She'll say, of course. But it's not true. <laughs> it's not a power of the government. And so even more minor things than Medicare, Congress, they think they have the right to legislate almost everything. In part, that's because we as citizens have given them that power because we don't know any better, right? You are right. 
and, and and as you said, you're a political neophyte, and markets gotten worse because there used to be at least talk around the water cooler. Okay, well, oh, there's days, talk around the water cooler any, still. There, there's hardly any water coolers at, at all. Nobody goes into work on a regular schedule anymore, and even if you do. You can't be talking about anything other than maybe sports and, and, and your family's weird friends. That, you, the, po- political seems to be out of bounds. The, th- the three things I was to told. bring that up at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Nobody does that anymore. But this is what affects our lives. Government really affects our lives. And as you're pointing out, we are punting on, on trying to make it better. Yeah, the, the, the three things I was taught as a as a young person, younger person, never to talk about in in public, uh, money, politics, and religion. Correct. Right, like those are the three topics you keep private. Right, you don't you don't talk you don't have a discussion with someone in a bar about politics, especially today. Right, there's, <laughs> I th- I okay. So here's what's said. I I spent some time in Europe. Uh, this was a while ago, but I did I did a the next pat year and we are politically the laughing stock right of of europe right when people look at how divided of a country we are right and what is happening over the last few years uh, it's you know i think you know christine said it we're experiencing things we've never experienced before and the court system has never experienced before and literally not walking in eggshells but Walking on, you know, newly found legislation to navigate or course correct whatever journey, you know, we're going on. You're absolutely right. The um, Look, America pretty much invented civic freedom. Um, hmm. And we're losing it because in part of fears of doing things that are civic and good. My best solution for that is those three things, money, religion, and politics, they're all important. And as long as we are tolerant of other people's ways of making money, other people's ways of devotion, and yes, other people's political thoughts, they should all be discussed friendly, don't break out steak knives on one another. We can do this. Why you? Why should we vote for you? I would love to have somebody better than me doing what I'm doing, but I'm one of the few Democrats who wants to lessen the power of government and willing to run for office. Now, I think there's a good number of Democrats out there. That's not the far left, but there's a good number of Democrat voters who are, I'll say, normal. And unfortunately, over the last 10 years or so, they haven't been given very good choices. In candidates, they face left or right, and it's far left that the Democrats put up there as their candidate, yep. or on the right, it's Trump. Yep. Or the evil Republican, and that's the way the media puts almost anyone with an R next to his or her name. Not quite as bad if it's a her, but still evil turncoat, why is this female a Republican in the first place? So faced with that ugly choice, a moderate Democrat almost has has to vote Democrat. What could Mark Greenstein's role be? Yes. 
Mark, Mark Stewart on the ballot. And I think the answer is that I am hoping to propel people who are better than me, people who are better speakers, people who do have better governing credentials, people who are taller. But I'm taller. In the presidential race, what could come of a Mark Stewart yep. thing, say, 4% of Vermonters away from a sitting president, it opens up the possibilities for people next time round to say, I can run for Congress, too. If little Mark can do this, I can do it even better. I could run for a state house seat with my principles, which are better than what I'm getting now. In 2024 itself, maybe, maybe it dislodges some Democrats yep. to be thinking we don't need Biden at the top of our ticket. And, and moderate Democrats exist. You don't hear about this very often because the candidates that the party puts out tend to be pretty far left. Right. And they get elected because the poor moderate Democrat has this ugly choice. Elect the far left Democrat or vote for Trump but, but, or anyone with an R next to their name. R for Republican is portrayed by the media as so foul, so evil that mainstream Democrats, I think, are almost compelled to stay with their party instead of break away. Right. I am a candidate for asking for a breakaway. Wait, 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 wait. So the neophyte question, for a breakaway, libertarian, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure I understand what the breakaway is and what the libertarian positioning is. So Okay, it's you, one of two things. Um, it could be that within the Democrat Party, they break away from this traditional statist, the, the most credentialed person is your nominee, even if he's got unpalatable policies. There's some governors, Democrats in, in several states, who would be much more liberty-minded than Biden and Harris. The other breakaway is the ultimate one that we know is fraught with probably wasting your vote, but still might be worthy, and that's voting libertarian. There will be a libertarian presidential nominee in November. They're on ballots. They'll be on ballots in 49 or all 50 states. So you're not totally stuck. And Christine was asking during the break, you know, can they win? In this election, no. But can they provide a principal vote for somebody who is not content with a Trump-Biden choice? Then absolutely. So, okay, I get that, but I'll speak as the Canadian-American transplant, right? Like, I was born and raised in Montreal and came to this country and ended up becoming a naturalized American, right? And I guess my question becomes, you know, I remember becoming naturalized the year I could have, I could vote for Obama, right? And I really wanted even though it didn't matter i wanted to to vote in that election right now looking at what is going on particularly with trump i'm scared beyond belief that this guy is going to actually possibly make it 
So if I'm really worried about that, am I wasting my vote if I'm a Vermonter or, you know, from any of the other states where I can vote for you, even if I believe you're absolutely right? Like, am I wasting my vote? I'm not competing against Trump for the November nomination. I'm in the Democrat Party's primary. So all you're doing is voting for who would be the best of the Democrats. Or maybe not even voting for me, but saying it's not him. It's It's not not Biden. We should look elsewhere. Okay. I think that's very powerful. Yes, Yes, that is very powerful. Yeah, that's fair. Four percent of Vermonters do this to have a little unknown Mark Stewart with this sort of libertarian yes. within the Democrat Party ideal. You're expressing very good sentiments powerfully, and you still have a vote in November for probably a Trump, or you're going to vote against him. Right. I think your nominee in November is not going to be Democrat Joe Biden. That is that's well, and I think a lot of people feel that way, right? I think a lot of people speak to the you know I, I'll I'll vote for the 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 guy I know if I'm stuck with him, but as far as I'm concerned, the the guy in power hasn't impressed me much either, right? I mean, I think that's where a lot of us as Democrats still stand, but we're going to stick to it because it's not Trump. Basically, what you're saying is, hey. I give people in the states that I am um, on the ballot an opportunity to voice their sort of dislike or their sort of dissatisfaction with Biden as the presidential candidate for Democrats. And you're giving them the opportunity to voice that. Okay. You can even be voicing without voting for me. Let's say you don't like Mark Linkstock. Right. You could like by writing in no Joe Biden. You can just do that? Biden votes in certain states. Hmm. Um, In New Hampshire, they had their primary three weeks ago. Yep. And one of the higher gathering votes was for a concept called ceasefire. And it was a campaign that cropped up in just three weeks prior to it. You started seeing signs. And they garnered, I believe they cracked 1%. I think it was over 1% of the vote was for no cease or for, for ceasefire. I'm saying in Vermont, you could say no Joe Biden and it will get publicized. Hmm. So what is your hope? Like, what is the hope of the numbers? Like, like, are you hoping for X percent and are you projecting like, can we throw a shout out at Vermont and say, OK, all of you Democrats who want a different candidate, please, if you're in Vermont, vote no Joe Biden so that we can have another possibility of the Democratic Party looking at other candidates. That's your goal. And I'll, I'll add that to the more broad goal that we look at governance beyond just the two candidates they're serving up right now. And if media in Vermont would like to have roiling debates, old style, I'll be there. Okay, I can be in Burlington. I'm five hours away. I will be there the next day if they said we want to debate issues. 
And though Mr. Biden probably won't come up to Vermont, he could send a surrogate. Okay, the whole delegation um, in Vermont is all Democrat. If Senator Welch or either of the um, uh, there's only one U.S. congressman there. Um, Bernie lives there, so yeah. he's the other senator. You know, I will happily, and I think it's a good service to have more forums, whether they're in just town halls or if they could be broadcast on WCAX. This would be good for democracy. That's amazing. And democracy above all, right? So at the end of the day, it is to maintain our democracy. Yes. Right? To maintain the freedom of choice and speech and all those things. Can can you speak yeah. to can you speak to I'm looking at your website again. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm totally like interrupting. And that's Stewart spelled S T E W A R T for S-T-E-W-A-R-T-for-liberty.com. One of the categories of your sort of menu of items is boycott the woke. And the neophytes in this room need to better understand what you mean. Well, let me start with what I define as woke. Okay. It is animated by feeling more than logic and using government to put your feelings ahead of others. Okay. So, example. Example. Most of us feel for a kid who thinks he's in the wrong sex and may want to have surgery at age 18 or even younger, but even at age 18, where in, in every state I believe it's legal, but this might not be why. And when the advocates for feeling say, you have to allow this and parents, their rights be damned, this kid feel like he should be a she, um, they're legislating based on feeling. When there's, uh, I'll go outside of the school system, when, when there's feeling yep. that some people in the workplace are marginalized because they don't have the same proportion. There aren't that many women airline pilots. I get that. But I don't think we should be governing the airlines to say you need a 50-50 mix, even there's, though there's hardly any women in training to be pilots. And that wasn't because of government or discrimination. It's just they want to do other things. Okay. But shouldn't, shouldn't it just be the, the best person for the job, right? I mean, let, I mean, let, let, let's look at the example you just used about pilots, right? Uh, maybe, uh, all right, ready? Is there a lack of interest or a lack of opportunity for female pilots, right? I, interest I, for sure. Uh, I'll tell you where there might be less opportunity. There aren't that many black pilots either, and it is harder because uh, there aren't as many well-off African Americans proportionally as white Americans, and flight lessons cost a, a lot fortune. of money. Yes. So, so there. Once again, it's not that the airlines have discriminated against black people; it's that they're not showing up with as many black meritorious candidates. And as of now, they get at least as much um, chance to become full-on pilots. The danger is when they have an over amount, 
beyond their merit, and then you're putting people's safety in jeopardy. I, I'm... I mean, it's not economics, um, but I think it's, look, it's more of a male thing to want to control. Women want to sue. They're very good at psychiatry and very good naturally as teachers. And yes, some women make great pilots, but not in the proportion of men who play with trucks from the time they're three years old. So, of course, they want to pilot planes more frequently. That's human nature more frequently than they do. Okay, okay. So, okay. So, back to boycotting the woke. Yes. Back to that first very good question. Boycott the woke shows up on Stewart for Liberty because it is a consumer-oriented movement that can be political. And in the absence of being able to elect the people that you want, we're saying you're in Massachusetts where Republicans stand almost no chance. Their legislature is three-quarters Democrat. So even when you think you have a chance, you might be two years away from the next election. But what can you do when a company has very vile policies? You can say publicly, I'm not buying your stuff. And the boycott of recent, I I put up that page well before either of these boycotts. Not like people were listening to me, but when Target stores put up uh, an agenda that devout people were very upset about, and when Anheuser-Busch chose to make um, big fun of, it seems, traditional American values of gender, um, they deserve at least some backlash. And this is one of the few conservative things that have worked. Conservatives don't get very far anymore. Um, These two are examples of boycotts that have made a difference. Mark, do you have any advice for your voters as we face a very scary election year? Well, if, if it's November, then no, because we don't know who the candidates are going to be. Trump could be in jail. And though you can run for president while in prison, it is allowed. I do think that sours a lot of people, um, not the cult. The cult that follows him are going to vote for him no yep. matter what his circumstance. That's such but an interesting it, it point. Possible, and maybe you end up with, him with a tiny, tiny bit of humility saying, you know what, how about my son, Eric Trump, who's a bright guy, and he doesn't carry all the baggage and the and the, the vitriol against him. You know, maybe that's the Trump instead of Donald. In the Democrat side, it's not going to be Joe Biden. It's not. But how can we haven't heard? Democrats have almost assured this. Look how well they've played this. They have gotten rid of primaries in several states. They have kept would-be challengers, except for one little-known congressman named Dean Phillips. Nobody else has challenged Joe Biden, which is just what the inner people want so that there's no conflict now. And come summertime, I'm taking bets, okay? If you disagree, I will wager with you that Biden will be urged and will take that urging to go off into the sunset with a successful, at least they'll call it successful, 
four-year term. I don't think it's successful. There are a lot of reasons you pointed to a few. This country is, I think, in the worst state since the Civil War. Yep. So, so, and and and, and even during the Civil War, our principles were not that as divided as we are now. I mean, there are people hmm. who their mindset now, over the last ten years, they've come to believe that speech is violent, and so if some conservative says something in your presence that you don't like, they're actually scared. I mean, some people use that and they don't believe it. Some people I've witnessed it really believe that you're providing, you're, you're, you're putting harm on them, violent, physical, just based on speech. That is not American. We haven't had that since 1776. That's really interesting. Mark, who, who in your opinion... Uh, will be the Democratic hopeful in the summer? Like, what's your what's your spidey sense tell you? Gavin Newsom. Okay. I, I think, and I think he'll win. I, really? I think he is your next president. He he is. Look, Democrats tend to elevate based on status. Um, Republic status within government. Okay, Republicans. You can be the nominee by being a good businessman. It wasn't just Trump. Mitt Romney was known for business more than his governorship. Uh, at one point, businessman Herman Cain, remember him? He, he yeah. was actually leading the Republican nomination. But within the Democrats, it's always the most um, politically elevated person. When it was Hillary Clinton, it's because she's a former first lady and a U.S. senator. Couldn't get any better than that. So if Biden is out, um, I think Governor Newsom, two-term governor, he's won three elections, not just two, in the biggest state in the country. He's smooth. He's slick. He's good-looking. I, I, I think they'll nominate him. Hmm. Really? Hmm. And you think he's got a shot? Like it. I, I, I don't like it. California, where I used to live, is a shell of the paradise that it once was in the seventies and eighties, it was la la land and the restrictions that the governors, that's mostly Jerry Brown, not Gavin Newsom and the legislature, which also is about three quarters Democrat in California. And they're even further left Democrats than the Massachusetts legislature. So they've enacted these horrible restrictions on people and it is causing a lot of people to leave. Now, California is still economically successful because they got so much talent already there. It's such a draw to be in L.A. or Silicon Valley. So Gavin Newsom is not going to look bad no. as a governor, even though I think his policies are bad. Interesting. Wow. It's a lot to... I, uh... I did mention, let me, let me throw one other out there. Okay. Colorado's governor... Jared Polis is in his second term, and he's not a far lefty. He speaks sense. He's on the libertarian side, one of those few Democrats with a liberty streak. I am hoping they will elevate him to maybe the vice presidential pick. Um, huh. I, I I think he would be a very good candidate Um to hopefully, again, turn the Democrat Party around. I'm still a Democrat. I would love to see 
and old-style JFK-type Democrats. And where would the far left go? Mark, Christine, there's a place for them. It's called the Communist Party of America. They actually exist, and it would be true to their principles. It is. Instead of lying and fooling people, they can be steadfast. They'll be small, rightfully small, but not so commanding over the rest of our government. Wow. These are these are good these are good thoughts. I'm 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 fascinated. Well, there are as you said categories on Stewart for Liberty. There's 15 no, sorry, there's 30 of them. <laughs> the issues and I I've it's seen four years worth of um videos, none of them long. Um they're all between 3 and 7 minutes. So sometime this weekend maybe during the Super Bowl halftime show, which is not very good. Um, people should take a look more. Issue by issue, you'll see my thoughts to stem back to when I ran for governor. And by the way, that is the more likely denouement for me. As I said, I'm not going to get the nomination to be president of the United States. But I would like to be in the running to be governor of a Northeast state. Well, I will tell you, we will be watching and we will be waiting to hear how it all plays out for you, Mark. But thank you so much for taking us on this journey. I've learned so much. StuartForLiberty.com, folks. Get and out there and vote, everyone. Especially if you're in Vermont. All right. All right. So. And D.C., by the way. And D.C., that's right. I'm going right to Joe Biden's home. I will physically myself be outside the White House with my signs that say NoJoeBiden.us. That primary is in June. It's the last primary there, and um, it'll be a true statement because I don't think anyone else will be running besides him and me. That's amazing. And this episode will air on the 18th of February, Mark. So we're going to try to get you out there so that as many people before the 5th of March uh, know uh, of your existence and your desire to challenge uh, Joe Biden Chal- on that Democratic just challenge ballot. Government, ballot. challenge yes. the way we should live, right? Yes. All right, y'all. Thank you so well, much. thank you, and Zero Hour producer, along with my host, thank you for having me. Great to be with you, and thank all of you who've listened to all this. And yes, I'll see you in Vermont. Thank See you, Mark. in Vermont. Thank you, Mark Stewart Greenstein. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.